worship is and that it's about you and about your glory. And Lord, we know that the world's been going through chaos, especially in Japan, Lord, and we lift up that country to you and the churches that are there and ask that you would do a tremendous work and help save lives and, Lord, allow your people to step up, roll up their sleeves and and get about uh, the business of helping. And Father, we've not only seen it there, but we've seen chaos politically, like in Libya and in chaos of personally as as an actor dissolves right before our eyes, Lord, as they go through their rants and all of that, Father, we, we, we see chaos around us, and yet, Lord, we know this morning that we can come and we can focus on you and, and set our hearts on you, the giver of peace, uh, and we can sit and glorify your name. And, and, Lord, even in our own lives, we face chaos. And Maybe some who've come this morning have come struggling with issues that they're dealing with, Lord, or troubles or even controversies, Lord, that they're having in their own lives. And, Father, I pray that you would allow those to melt away as we focus on you and on your glory. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that we can believe in you, that we can trust in you, and that we can bask in your glory and be changed. Uh, Be with us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You may have a seat, and I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Uh, Obviously, some of you set your clocks the right way, which is great. Appreciate you doing that. And, you know, uh, it it is true. uh, If you've watched the news at all or been around anything You've heard about just the chaos that's going on in our world all over the place, not only from the, the earthquake, the 9.0 earthquake in Japan, and I, I will be sharing more about that and showing you some slides and giving you some report from Takeshi Takazawa and Dory as, as um, they've shared with me some of the things about their family and, and whatnot. But um, it's so important seeing all this chaos that we focus in on the, on the glory of God, <laughs> that peace-giving, that... Uh, calming sense that, that God is in charge of everything. Uh, and we're not, um, we kind of get the concept of glory, but we don't really get the concept of glory in the sense of like uh, where, where a king was and, and the king in all his glory. And, and we're not used to that kind of thing. And yet we can see it and read about it in, in different, you know, as we watch the news and see, hear about different kings and queens and such, or when we read about it in, in some of the fantasy books that are out there, like a, how many of you have read or, or seen the movie The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, many of you have. And, and in, in that, uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, talks of a, of a king and his glory. It's an amazing book written from a, a, a Christian worldview uh, dealing with all these uh, fantasy creatures and, and all that, trying to weave biblical truths in and amongst his writing. And, and, and one particular character that Tolkien develops is a character by the name of Strider. Some of you remember that, this surly unpredictable, dangerous drifter who seems, who seems to be really more than he is. As the story develops, you find out that he's no ordinary man. He shines above the rest with an amazing ability to fight and yet a compassionate heart and, and bravery beyond most and true, true leader whose, whose brilliance has a profound effect. Uh, as the adventure continues, we learn... Um, of his incredible glorious nature and learn that his name is not really Strider, but it's Aragorn, uh, rightful heir to the throne of man, a king. And in that final scene, he is honored, crowned in all of his glory as king of all kings. <clears throat> his glory was not only experienced, and, but given, and those who responded were changed and life was as it should be. Now, Tolkien was writing from this biblical worldview and, and revealed this concept of glory, and you can see all kinds of, uh, 
uh, biblical truths found in the, in the writings and in the watchings of the movie, but in this idea of glory, that glory is, is giving an honor. As, Justin, or as uh, um, Stephen talked about, it's, it's um, giving forth majesty and magnificence, uh, bringing out splendor and, 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 and talking of eminence and distinction and importance. And though glory is given to kings and important people, uh, celebrities and star athletes, glory mostly belongs as intended for God. God's glory can be seen and experienced. All over the Bible, we see God's glory through His miraculous acts and for His provision. And if you take right now your outline, take it out because I'm going to list a bunch of verses that you might want to write down in a little bit. So take it out, turn to the outline section and, and God's miraculous, glorious acts have been seen all throughout the Bible. And in Exodus chapter 40 and, and verse 34, and in 1 Kings 8 verses 11, and if you don't get them down, see me afterwards or I can email them to you, just email me. Uh, this this uh, glory rested on this tent of meeting. Uh, this cloud just rested on this tent of meeting. And in, uh, uh, later on, it, it filled the temple and the tabernacle full of this kind of this smoke and mist that you might see at a rock concert. But it's, it's, uh, this, this smoke was filling the temple. It was an indication of, of God's uh, glory visible among His people. Radiance was present. And even Moses in Exodus 34, as he met with God, uh, his, actually his face Shown, and if you want to reference that, look up Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seven to beyond that. It talks about how Moses had to wear a veil over his face because his, his face radiated so much that people just couldn't stand to be in his presence, and so he wore a veil. And yet that veil faded at some point, and Corinthians brings it out. But Ezekiel, the prophet, speaks of God's glory, uh, speaks of God sending His glory to be among mankind. In Ezekiel chapter 20, or 39, verse 21, who we know to be Jesus, uh, the one Simeon held in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. We study that passage around Christmas time as, as Jesus, after his, his birth and, and him coming to be dedicated in the temple, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Simeon and said, you're not going to die until you see the glory of, uh, of God uh, to see his Savior and in that, they met up, and, and, and Simeon reached out and, and held God's glory. <laughs> uh, and that is because God's glory can be beheld. And not only that, it can be seen and experienced. But we are also to give God glory, as we have been through praise and honor and worship. Psalm 22, verse 23 says, Fear the Lord. Praise Him, all you descendants of Jacob. Glorify Him. In other words, give Him honor. Uh, speak of His splendor and of His majesty. Let it out. Cry it out. Sing it out. Speak it out of God's glory. How awesome and amazing and wonderful He is. Glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you descendants of Israel. In Psalm eighty-six, twelve, which we saw up on the screen a little earlier. I will praise you, O Lord my God. With all my heart I will glorify your name forever. I will proclaim, I will explain, I will exalt, I will lift up, I will cry out, sing out, whatever. I will tell of how amazing God is, how beautiful and how wonderful and how awesome and incredible He is. As well, the actions of our life are to express the glorious nature of God. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, <clears throat> So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, that as we go about our lives, whatever we do, 
we reflect God's glory. We, 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 we shine it out as we live life and act out His nature among other people. John, in his gospel, gives great glory to Jesus. It's called the gospel of glory. Uh, John shows how Jesus' miracles bring him glory. It displays wisdom, and, and even Jesus' death is described as Jesus' glorification. Now, now, there is one instance, instance where Jesus is glorified that John doesn't mention, but it's mentioned in the other gospels. And if you want to write these down, you can look up later. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 10, and also in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and then in our passage that we're looking at today, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to, or 28 to 36. Is that enough numbers to give to you? <laughs> Some of you are just going, ah, forget it. <clears throat> but this instance is called the transfiguration, a time and a place where Jesus' glory comes out. It comes out and makes a huge impact on those who are there. And it can also have a great impact on us as we reach for Jesus. And so I'd like for us to look at Luke's account. If you have a Bible with you, it's Luke chapter 9. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, just the ushers are coming down. They've got a Bible in their hand. They'd like to give you a loan or just wave at them, and they'd be happy to do that. We're going to be mostly in Luke 9. We'll also be going some other places. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible, and they'd be happy to, to let you have one. There's some, someone down here who needs a Bible on this side. Chuck, over here. Oh, there we go. Thanks. But I want to look at three life-changing responses to Jesus' glory. Let me just pray for us, just really quickly. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, thank you for the joy it is to, to know you. And Lord, as we attempt to grasp your glory just for a moment today, Father, may it have a change on us. Holy Spirit, reveal in us the issues that we need to deal with, the, the things that we need to make happen in our own lives, Lord, the choices we need to make so that your glory doesn't has an impact on us as we know you more. Use this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. So you have your Bibles there, your notes are open, the three life-changing responses to Jesus. Uh, the first life-changing response to Jesus' glory is to choose to be transformed. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James. Now, if you read Matthew's account and uh, Mark's account, it says six days. Now, now Luke isn't uh, giving a wrong thing in the Bible, but Luke is just giving the day before the six days and the day after the six days, much like we say a week. Some see a week as five days, some see a week as seven days. Uh, it's just a, uh, a way that Luke uh, interprets the number of days. And so he says, in eight days after Jesus said this, and the this he's talking about is when Peter makes his great confession. He says, you know, Jesus asked the, the disciples, who do you say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some of you are Elijah. And, uh, uh, but he turns to Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're Messiah. And Jesus then explains what he must do. And so eight days after this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It says his face changed. Uh, Jesus was transformed. He was different. Uh, Matthew's account of this, verse 2, says... 
And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Mark 9, verses 2 and 3, Mark's account of this, he says, And he was transformed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I don't know if Mark did the laundry or if, <laughs> knowing how hard uh, things are to get white, but it was that. That's what he described it as. But Jesus was transfigured. The word means transformed or morphed, not adding to, but to from within out, being morphed or, or changed, that it's already there. Just like a, a caterpillar, it's already built within their DNA to become a butterfly or a tadpole, to become a, a frog. It's already there. Jesus' glory was already there, and some came out, and it was amazing. Now, write down this verse and look it up later. John 18, verse 6, because I love this part, because I believe this is another instance when Jesus' glory eked out. Uh, Jesus was uh, in the garden, and he was betrayed, and, and, and he asked this big garrison of guards, these big burly uh, guards, and, and the, the, the chief priests were all there with torches and, and swords and everything like that, and they were these great fighting men, and, and Jesus asked, who do you seek? And then the crowd says, we seek Jesus of Nazareth, and he goes, I am! <laughs> and right when he said that, John's account said they fall back. These big burly men just fall back, because I believe his glory just kind of eked out at that moment. But Jesus' glory changed him at this time. And his glory can also create a change in us and transform us to be who God created us to be, to be like Jesus, to have good, godly character, to let all that what God has implanted to us, if we've come to that point and believe those, those uh, fruit of the Spirit to come out, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All those are within us, just waiting to come out and, and transform us so that we would be more loving, that we would really experience true joy, that we would have peace and patience and kindness and all of those things. Uh, they're, they're already in us if we come to that point, to, uh, that, that, that place where we believe. And so how do we be, be transformed? The first is by accepting his invitation to believe and to know him. Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to know of his true self. And that invitation is open to all who would choose. It first starts with coming to a place where we believe, where we believe in who Jesus is, not just knowing about Jesus. I mean, even the demons know and they shudder. <laughs> uh, it's not just simply knowing about how uh, Jesus uh, came to this earth and who he is and what he is and he paid the penalty for our sin and died on the cross and rose again. It's not just knowing that. It's actually believing it, taking it in ourselves. And belief has three parts to it. It's, it's a, it starts with a, a confession to realize that, that we're sinful that we as human beings are, are sinful and, and that we've done wrong. And if we honestly look at it, each of us would kind of go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I have my flaws. And if you say you have none, you already have one because now you're proud. <clears throat> but we all, ha- we all have done wrong things. We've made mistakes. Well, that sin has a price on it. We talk about it all the time. It means that we won't ex- be able to experience our true relationship with Jesus. We won't be saved. We won't uh, get into heaven if we, unless we deal with our sin. And, 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 and we can't deal with it on our own. We can't try to erase it or eradicate it or, or you know, blast it out of our body in any way. It's there. That's why we need a Savior. And so it not only is a, is a, a, a confession that we're sinful, but it's a confession that Jesus is our Savior, that what he did on the cross, he did it for me too. And then it's a, a commitment to live life God's way. That's what belief means. 
And so when we come to that place of belief, once we initially made that choice, now it's a continual choice to learn of His glory, to know how awesome He is. Go ahead and turn to that place that Stephen quoted in Colossians chapter 1. It's, it's east of where you are in Luke. Go over there and, and you'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I had it marked in my Bible already, so it was easy for me to turn there. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I love what one kindergartner said of Jesus. He is the great holderer, togetherer of everything. He is the wellspring of salvation. He's the creator and sustainer of life. He is the victor over darkness. He's the freedom fighter for the captive. He's the father to the fatherless, the deliverer of the dejected. He is the, the rest giver of the weary. He is the rescuer of the lost. He forgives, he cares, he teaches, he disciples, and he disciplines, he trains, and he loves. And as we take in his glory, his splendor, his majesty, it can transform us if we are willing. How we are willing is to dwell on His character, to dwell on His glory, and not only that, to believe in His glory, and then to live it accordingly. Like, for instance, the aspect of His love, to dwell on the fact that Jesus loves us no matter what. The Hebrew or the Greek word for, for, for love is agape. It means it's a love in spite of. In spite of whatever you do, and in spite of whatever's gone in your life, God still loves you. And He never has stopped loving you. He thinks about you all the time. He cares about where you sit. And when you rise up, He understands your thought from afar. He knows everything about you. And He still likes you. <laughs> He knows when you reject Him and when you dis- disobey Him, and He still loves you. His love cuts through anything. There is no sin that you can commit that will ever erase God's love from you. There is no, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. His love is amazing, and it's, it's dwelling on that, thinking about that, thinking about how much God loves us personally, and then believing in that love, actually taking it in and saying, Jesus loves me. Not just that person sitting next to you, but Jesus loves you fully and completely. He was intimate at your creation. He put you together. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. And then it's living out that same love, giving it to other people, giving grace, kindness, and mercy to other people, loving other people in spite of what they do. It gets a little harder on that part, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, But it's also taking uh, the concept of God's forgiveness in the same way. Jesus forgives you. The greatest example, when he was on the cross, having been all through that he had been through, being whipped and beaten, his hair torn out and and, uh, beaten with a rod and and nailed to a cross and struggling to breathe. And, And what does he say? He doesn't curse down curses on them, but he says, Father, forgive them. 
And even though we have rejected Him at times, even though when we have directly disobeyed Him, directly, He said, do one thing, and you said, eh, and did the other one. He forgives you. No sin is so heinous and so uh, bad that He would not forgive you for. No sin. It's the understanding that and dwelling on that and to, to taking it in, our, in ourselves and saying that Jesus has forgiven me. <laughs> me, even in all that I have done. And then it's living that out, which again is the hard part, isn't it? For us to forgive others even when they don't deserve it. For us just to say, I forgive you and to let it go. That's how God's glory transforms us as we dwell on it and believe it and live it out. If you believe in Jesus, it's within you to be transformed. It's not something that is added to your life when you come to that faith. It's already implanted within you. You just need to dwell on it and believe it and live it out. And God's even given you the Holy Spirit to help you. The the Spirit of God, when you come to, to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live with you and help you understand as you read God's Word and help you to grow and help those things to come out. That's why in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. In view of God's glory, choose to let the glory of Jesus shape you from the inside out. You see, the world wants to conform you. That's like pushing you into a mold. And so as we go through life, we're constantly pushed and contorted to believe and to think and to act like the world does. That stuff is really important. That the materialism of this world is something you should buy into. And not only that, the worst one out there is that we're the most important part of the universe. That we are the center of the universe that everything should revolve around us and what we want. Uh, you know, we, that everything should be on our schedule. Things should revolve around me. And yet we can be morphed from the inside out by renewing our minds and basking in the glory of Jesus by reaching for Him. 2 Peter 3.18 says, and it's, it's written in a command form here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. It's, it's, it's both in brain knowledge and experience knowledge seeing the glory of God. By reading about it and, and, and looking at the pages of the Word of God and saying, wow, how glorious God is. But also experiencing it within ourselves as God changes our life. And then to see it in the world around you. That's why Romans 1.20 says, says we can see about God by what He's created around us, the mountains and the trees and the, the flowers and the little tiny bugs that look really cool and all those things, that those bring glory to God. They speak of His glory and how creative and how amazing and how wonderful He is and how powerful He is. He is greater than a 9.0 earthquake. He's more powerful than any tsunami. And also, not only can we grow in this grace and knowledge of Jesus by seeing it and reading about it and growing in a knowledge, but also in that experience of serving Him. See, we gain God's glory and we understand it and we grow in it as we serve out His purposes. And that's why we have this ministry fair out here, so that you can see opportunities and ways that you can be used of God and experience His glory while you serve. Many people head out on summer mission projects. We have them all over, but some even head out this, this past week 
uh, Barbara Nichols uh, headed out to Jamaica this past week, just a couple days ago. Here, uh, a a fairly new widow, and and yet she wants to to serve God and give Him glory, so she's heading to Jamaica with her family to do some VBS work and and things like that. And then uh, um, uh, Jacob Painter, uh, one one of our students, uh, through his school, is, is, is heading out to El Paso, Texas to do some VBS work and maybe some building. And his, his dad, uh, Gary, one of our elders, went along with him, obviously, in, uh, in, in his class. And, and not only that, but um, Takeshi and Dory Takazawa just left this morning to head to Vietnam to be able to do some pastor training in his mission with Asian Access. See, they're serving, and we can serve too, whether it's uh, living out the the elements of God, the image of God in our workplace and in our neighborhoods, but also being involved in a ministry around here to be used of God. And that brings out His glory. And, and as we respond to His glory, it changes us. Another life-changing response to Jesus' glory is to follow glory's plan. Let's go back to the Luke 9 text here. <clears throat> Verse 36 I believe, 30, I mean. Uh, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah are present in this transfiguration scene, and we're not exactly told why, but Moses, uh, Moses uh, from the Bible book of Exodus through Deuteronomy, We know of him that he was used by God to set up God's law. This uh, system and order of of doing things so that we would not only uh, follow what God wants us to and they're good for us, but also they would point us to our need for a Savior and show us that we are sinful. It was a guide to life, but also reveals God's plan of providing a Savior. And Moses points people then to Messiah, which we know to be Jesus. Moses Uh, was seen as a glorious, uh, one of the greatest leaders of biblical history, of of really of the world, a great prophet, a major miracle worker of history, and a giver of the law. As well, Elijah was there, and you can read about him in First and Second Kings, is another of the greats of biblical history, a hero to the Jews, and and a straight shooter challenging people back to God. God gave him power to perform amazing miracles, and was revered as a a glorious man of God, a great leader, uh, revealing God's plan to provide a true king, the Messiah, and got people thinking about their need for this king, this leader, this Messiah. And here both Moses and Elijah are in Jesus' presence, making it clear to Peter, James, and John that, that, that all of Scripture... Uh, all the, the law and the prophets point directly to Jesus, that he is the Messiah, as he said just moments ago with Peter, when Peter confessed that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, as Luke reports, they spoke of Jesus' departure. They spoke of Jesus' death, a, a great display of Jesus' power and glory. John, in his Gospel of Glory, describes Jesus' death as glorification. If you want to look at places, write down John chapter 7, verse 39, and and chapter 12, verse 16. And interestingly, in chapter 13, verse 31, right after Judas leaves to betray Jesus, Jesus turns to the men and says, 
Now the Son of Man is glorified, revealing the, the beauty and the majesty of His sacrifice as He pays the penalty for our sin and, and conquers death, setting up His rightful reign as King, where His influence shapes our world. And His influence can shape our world today. You see, God has a glorious plan that we would believe and follow His way of life and to let His glory affect and make a difference in us and in our world everywhere, spiritually, physically, personally, socially, and economically. That when God's people grasp God's glory, they follow His plan of influence and our world is changed. Our world is better off. And it's happening all over the world. Churches and and ministries are better because God's people are raising up and revealing the glory of God through water, giving clean water, through providing food, providing businesses, planting trees, building homes, providing medical help, and yes, to share the message of salvation through Jesus. All to the glory of God and His influential plan. It's caring for people. It's caring for people like the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. You can write it down and look it up later, but you know the story. We're to not be like the priests who walked on the other side of the road to to get to church. We're actually to do something with our faith and to be like the Good Samaritan who reached down and helped this this, uh, person who'd been beaten and hurt by by these robbers. We're to actually be active in our faith and to help people in need. As well, we are to love our city like Jeremiah 29, verses 7 to 11 say, that we're to care about the place where we live, to bring hope to our city, to bring God's love to our city, to let His glory shine in the city, and the city should be better because we're there, because we're involved. We're volunteering and helping and and, and making the city be a better place wherever we live. And as well, reaching out with the life-changing message of Jesus, Mark 16, 15 says. It says that, that we should preach the gospel to all creation. Or Matthew 28, 19, and 20, to go therefore and make disciples. See, sometimes we just get part of the picture. We're supposed to go and preach the wet message. Yes, we're to do that. But we're also to be involved in the life where we're at and to help and to serve in any way par- possible. That's part of God's plan. That's why we as a church have, have sought hard to understand God's unique call for us. And it's involved in compassion ministry and, and community involvement and in branching out. And we know that that's our call, and I believe that's your call too, to be part of this body. For when you do, you will experience new depths of God's glory, and it will change your life. See, it's life-changing to respond to Jesus' glory when we choose to be transformed, when we follow Jesus' plan, and when we make Jesus paramount. Look at our text again. Verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be there, be here. Let us put up three tabernacles, three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Luke brings out in, in his passage, he says, 
what he, he did not know what he was saying. In other words, that wasn't the right thing to say, Peter. We're not told exactly why it's not the right thing. Some have said it's because Peter wanted to stay on the mountaintop. He wanted to stay there and just kind of soak in this glorious moment and never leave. Uh, and we can be a lot like that. You see, it's so easy for us Christians to go from one glorious experience to another. We go to church service, and then we go to this church service, and then we go to this concert, and then we go to this, uh, we listen to the radio, this teacher teaching us, and we, we're soaking in all the time, and just, oh, it's so wonderful to be involved in God's glory, yet, yet we're not going about His plan. We're taking all of our time and just taking in, taking in, taking in, and never giving out what God has called us to do. It's a little bit of both. We not only need to experience God's glory, but then get out there. Jesus didn't have those three stay there for a long time. It was a short time of experiencing his glory. And then the rest of the time was to live out what God has called us to do, to live out his plan. See, it's easy for us to do that. And and when we do that, he's not paramount at all. Our experience is paramount. And sometimes we are so experience-oriented that all we care about is how great the church service is for us. We just want it for, for us. Now maybe it was possible that uh, uh, Peter was trying to bring down Jesus to the same level as uh, Elijah and Moses because he said, let's build three tabernacles making Jesus equal with Moses and Elijah. Yet there is no equal to Jesus Revelations 1.8 says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the bright and morning star of Revelations 22, verse 17. There is no equal to Jesus. There is no equal to Him. And yet it's so easy to, to put our own experience in that part of, of being paramount in our life. That own experience of, of having something great... In, the concept for us is hard to get is that it's not about us. You know, I, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if there would be less church shopping and hopping if we were more concerned about a church that's bringing Jesus glory than about if it meets my needs. <laughs> Who cares? Because it's all about Jesus and His glory. Does it really bring Him glory? Does it really uh, worship Him and, and lift Him up and be about His plan, not about what we need? Too much it's about my needs, my style, what I want. And yet it's not about us. So God steps in. Nice thought, Peter. But you're heading down the wrong street. And so to make it clear, God speaks. While he was speaking, that's Peter, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son in whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and they told no one at that time what they had seen. How do you make Jesus paramount in our life? Yes, see everything else, including ourselves, as less. But in that, that we would fear God. Not in the afraid fear, 
but in that reverent respect of God and to listen to Jesus. Revering means to be in awe of Him. Great reverent respect where He and His will and His way is the greatest in our life. Where we respect God enough, we respect Jesus enough to actually do what He says, to follow His will, to follow His way, and to listen to to Him, to do what He says. You know, we go to so many other places to find direction in life, and not that we shouldn't seek wisdom at all, but we go and ask of ourselves and other people around us instead of consulting the Lord. Uh, there's a great book written in Scripture. I mean, it's all great, but, but one particularly deals with, with life. I mean, they all deal with life, but, but uh, um, <laughs> Solomon, in all of his greatness, walks through life and says, what's really meaningful in life? And so he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the, this treatise on life. It's about what is meaningful in life. And he goes through and says, I've experienced it all. I've had as much money as you could have, and, and yet it's meaningless. I've experienced all the pleasures of a human being could possibly think of, of experiencing. I've tried them all, and it's meaningless. And he goes through every aspect of life. This is meaningless. You know, working hard and being successful is meaningless. All these things are meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, he says. And he comes down to the conclusion, and he says the, the same thing that God told these three Look at Ecclesiastes verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter, the matter of what is meaningful in life and what men should do. He says, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and listen to Jesus. That's how we make Jesus paramount. So the question is, will you Will you fear him enough to place him preeminent, paramount, number one in your life? Will you form your life around what he wants instead of trying to fit him into your life? You see, we don't always get this idea or experience of, a, of what glory means in the way of a king. We kind of get it as we read stories like the, like the Lord of the Rings. But as we reach for Jesus... Responding to His glory is how we grow in our understanding. And we do that as we see and experience and give Jesus glory and choose to be transformed and choose to follow His glory, His plan, and choose to make Jesus paramount. So let the glory of the Lord rise among us and let us be changed. Would you pray with me? Father, as we... Um, just for a moment, try to grasp Jesus, your glory, as it was leaked out on that wonderful uh, time on that mountain. Lord, we uh, wonder what it was like for Peter, James, and John, and yet, Lord, we experience you personally, and we have moments where, whether it's singing a song or reading your word or hearing a sermon or, or just as we're out in the Nature, Lord, we experience just a moment of that and realize, Lord, that there, your glory is um, something we want to grasp and take in and we want it to form us and shape us. And so, Lord, let us be transformed by your glory. Let us follow glory's path and, and, and help us to put you, Jesus, first and paramount in our life. 
so that we can be transformed by your glory. Thanks for this reminder this morning, Lord. Thanks for challenging us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Uh, We have a time in our